looking in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, please do that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're talking about Christmas and unlikely places. And rather than looking at one of the gospel accounts in Luke 1 and 2 or Matthew 1 or John 1 and seeing the, the story of the incarnation, we've, we took last Sunday and this Sunday to talk about more the purpose of Christ coming into this world and, and the purpose of Christmas. And so we'll do that this morning in a passage maybe we don't often connect with Christmas. Um, but it's clearly, it, it relates uh, this will be a sort of a quiet week around here, Lord willing. Uh, our office is closed all week, and so things will, I know you'll be busy, and you have uh, busy relaxing, I hope, and, and, uh, but some of you will be traveling around and, and having times with your family, and so we pray the Lord would just give wonderful uh, time, memories together, time together with, with folks. Uh, but uh, it will be quiet around the church campus. Also, just next Sunday, Pastor Flintoff will be opening the Word in Exodus 33. And so be praying for him as, as, as he prepares for that. And Thomas Carinard will pick up our winter Bible study next Sunday during the Sunday school hour. All our adult classes are combined, and, and he'll uh, do part two of our study, The Art of Contentment. So that's what's coming, coming up for us. All right, you're there in, in 1 Timothy 1. Uh, we'll, we'll read the passage in just a moment. But this is obviously is a unique time of year, Christmas time. Uh, there are things that we do that are really kind of strange if you think about it, some of the traditions, and, and we only do them this one time of year, and we, we hang these poisonous parasitic plants above doorways, and then we decide it's a good idea to kiss underneath them, and, and you, that's a little odd. Um, we, we hang oversized socks from fireplace mantles and expect to find Christmas presents there when we wake up in the morning. We, we drink raw eggs mixed with milk and sugar, and lots of it, and some special sauce sometimes, and, and, uh, and we like it. Well, you like it. I don't enjoy uh, eggnog, but some of you really do. Uh, but this, this time of year it has its own unique kind of personality. It's got its own feel to it. Um, they're, they're the over-the-top decorations and the excessive eating of sweets and, and the sappy movies and the gift-giving and receiving and and regifting and returning and and just the hustle and bustle of it all. We were out in the Fayette Pavilion yesterday uh, doing a little, little bit of shopping and it was packed and just all the scurrying and movement of people. And and I'll admit, I do enjoy a lot of this. I, I do. I have many happy memories of Christmas, both from childhood and adulthood, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm sure that you do too. But Christmas can be a very difficult time for for folks, and maybe it is for you. Um, some people really come to dread the last week or two of December, and they they just just they, they begin to shudder when they when when the, all the when they see the Christmas decorations coming to the stores right after Halloween uh, candy disappears. It's like they just brace themselves for what's coming, and, and probably all of us feel somewhat conflicted because there are things that have happened in your life or that are happening in your lives that, 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 that make this a difficult time. Pain, uh, losses, disappointments, um, conflicts, the, they seem to hurt more this time of year than the rest of the year. Uh, I think that's true for most people. This is especially difficult for some people, and some of you. you you've, you've almost come to, 
just despise Christmas time. I don't mean Christ or his coming, but this time of year. And so you see the masses of people scurrying around with, you know, crowded stores with smiles plastered on their faces, swiping their card over and over again. And and you 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 just it just sort of grates on you if you're honest. Um, well, I came across this article a few years back, but I, I've just saved it and I've, I've referenced it. I, I, I read it probably annually, not before you, but I, I I've gone back to it a few times for my own sake. But the title caught my eye the first time: "Christmas is for those who hate it most." <laughs> And so it, just this is just a little excerpt from this article. It says, I, I think we have it all backwards. We have, we have it sunk into our collective cultural consciousness that Christmas is for the happy people. You know, those with idyllic family situations gathered around stocking-strewn hearths. Christmas is for healthy people who laugh easily and at all the right times. The successful and the beautiful who live in suburban bliss can easily enjoy the holidays. They're beaming after watching a Christmas classic while curled up on the couch as a family in front of their ginormous flat screen TV. We live and act as if this is who should be enjoying Christmas. But this is backwards. Christmas, the great story of the incarnation of the rescuer, is for everyone, especially for those in need of rescue. Jesus came for those who look in the mirror and see ugliness. Jesus came for daughters whose fathers never told them they were beautiful. Christmas is for those who go to wing night alone. Christmas is for, is for those whose lives have been wrecked by cancer and the thought of another Christmas seems like an impossible dream. Christmas is for those whose marriages have careened against the retaining wall and are threatening to flip over the edge. Christmas is for the son whose father keeps giving him hunting gear when he wants art supplies. Christmas is for smokers who cannot quit even in the face of a death sentence. Christmas is for prostitutes, adulterers, and porn stars who long for love in every wrong place. Christmas is for college students who are sitting in the midst of the family and already cannot wait to get out for another dream. Christmas is for those who traffic in failed dreams. Christmas is for those who have squandered the family name and fortune. They want to go home, but cannot imagine a gracious reception there. Christmas is for parents watching their children's marriage fall into disarray. Christmas is really about the gospel of grace for sinners. Amen. Christmas is for everyone. Christmas is especially for struggling, stumbling sinners like you and me. And so maybe you're this time of year, maybe you have financial pressures that are just weighing on you and they're just threatening to snuff all of the joy out of you. Maybe, maybe someone you love has died over this past year and it, that grief is brought right to the surface. Maybe a conflict, uh, a relationship is, has been fractured and maybe has ended and, and that pain is just raw for you. Maybe... Maybe your family gatherings traditionally haven't been filled with, uh, with holiday greetings and gay happy meetings. Maybe it's awkward and it's tense and there's a lot of arguing when your family gets together and you're anticipating that. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by so many things to do and places to be and, and that's you today. Well, let me just, Christmas is for you. You are, you are in the right place today. Don't feel like you're out of place, like everybody else is here in, in this idyllic situation and you're, you're out of place. No, this 
Christmas, this birth is for you. And so the, the, the birth announcement behind Christmas that's for you is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. You don't have to turn there. I know you're in 1 Timothy 1. Just stay there. But the, the birth announcement of Christ, it didn't come with you know, a little card in the mail with measurements and a cute picture or a you know, wooden cutout stork in the front yard of, of Joseph and, and Mary. That's not it. No, this birth announcement of Jesus is over the top. They're, they're, they're to these common, ordinary, smelly shepherds of sheep out and watching their flocks by night, as we know in the songs. But this is, this is true. Out of Luke 2, Luke 2, verse 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy for all the people. Christmas is about good news that's to bring not just a little bit of joy, not just a a little kind of surface level happiness, but great, deep, abiding joy. It's joy, not just to, to those who have everything, every, the life's just firing on all cylinders and everything's just going, just swell. No, it's for everyone. It's to you. It's even and especially those who are struggling. It's good news for those who are discouraged. It's good news for the despairing. And again, it's not just the superficial happiness because of presents and twinkling lights and, and Christmas cookies. No, it's this deep joy that you can know even if you come in today um, discouraged and despairing. Jesus' birth is good news. It's to bring great joy. And I pray that you'll know that. So if we're talking about good news, you think of journalism or think of news reporting, the, the questions that are asked or who, what, when, where, why, all those questions. And so that's what we want to ask this morning of this, this good news of great joy or these, these types of questions from the Scriptures. And if you were writing a news story for Christmas and, and trying to come up with a headline, what you very well might pick would be the passage that we're looking at today, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is, this is a good summary statement. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to his, who, to his young pastor friend Timothy. And writing to encourage him and instruct him about how the church should function. But in the beginning of this letter, one of, the, one of the things Paul does is he gives a little testimony of his own life. And he shares about God's great mercy towards him. And so it's in that context in 1 Timothy 1. Let's start reading in verse 12. And so follow along as I read. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. I thank him, God, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And here's the summary. Here's the headline of what Christmas is all about. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Then he adds, of whom I am the foremost. 
But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. And so our focus this morning is going to be just simply on one verse, on verse 15, 1 Timothy 1.15. And it begins like this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What does that mean? Well, it means that what he's saying is true and it is for everyone. So it's true. These, this, this is trustworthy. This is a word you can trust, you can rely upon, you can stake your life upon what he's about to say. In contrast to, in the context, in 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, he talks about myths and genealogies and these false teachings and these, these vain discussions. And he says, in contrast to all that, what I'm about to tell you, it's true. It's, it's unquestionably true. And it's not just true. These words, the statement, it's for you. It's deserving of full acceptance, total acceptance, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter your age, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your level of education. Here are words every single person should accept without, without reservation. And so what is it that's so true and so worthy of full acceptance? And it's nine simple words. Nine simple words that... That, that say everything. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Those nine little words can change your life and have changed many of your lives. Not just for today, not just for Christmas, not just to get you through tomorrow, what you're dreading, but not just for 2018, but for eternity. Those nine words are good news of great joy to you and me. And so let's, let's look. Let's ask the questions and some of these questions. First question is, what, what happened? In this one little verse, these nine little words, they tell us this. What's the story? What's the event behind Christmas? Well, it's this. Christ Jesus came into the world. That's the event. And those very simple words communicate this incredible Truth. Just consider what's being said in, the, in that little, tiny little statement there. That Jesus came into the world means that He had to come from some other place. And, and so for Christ to come into the world meant He had to leave the glories and the, and the perfections and the riches of heaven. So He came into this world from heaven. Philippians 2 talks about though Jesus, though He existed eternally in the form of God, meaning He is God, He didn't cling to that, but emptied Himself to become a man. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, though He was rich, not just, man, He had a lot of dough. No, He was eternally rich. He was God. He had, he had all the resources of the, of the universe in, in His control. Though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. He took on flesh. He became a man. So He left the glories and the wonders and the splendor of heaven and came here. Christ Jesus came into the world. There had been other times in history when God came down to earth. And so you see this in the Old Testament. He appeared to Abraham. He wrestled with Jacob. He hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. He, 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 Joshua saw Him before Jericho fell. Even Nebuchadnezzar saw Him in that fiery furnace. But when Jesus came into the world... He came in a way that God had never come before. He came as a man. He came in our likeness. He entered 
our humanity, some of the things we sang in the, in that, or we listened to in that song Arrival that was sung over us. We, the, the architect became part of the plan. He entered in. And so though He's fully God, eternal, glorious, majestic, full of splendor and wonder and all-powerful, He emptied Himself and took on the nature of a man. Now you think of some of the paradoxes here. I, this is a list that I didn't come up with, but I, I find helpful. One writer said, God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The unbreakable became fragile. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The loved became hated. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned into obscurity. From inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief. From a throne to a cross from ruler to being ruled, from power to weakness. And Jesus, He did this. He willingly subjected Himself to life in a fallen world as a human being, to, to, the, real, to the realities of hunger and thirst and fatigue and exhaustion and temptation and abuse and disappointment and, and bullying and mockery and pain and even death. He, Christ, this is what happened. Christ Jesus came into the world. Now, as because we're human beings, we, we, we struggle to grasp the, the vast gulf that Christ crossed to, to do that. Uh, we, we're human beings, and so we think, okay, well, life as a human is not such a big deal. Uh, what's the big deal that, that, that God became man, became like us? Well, it's, a, it's, an, it's an infinitely huge deal. This is... You know, it's, it's far more than, let's just say hypothetically, a man could, become, could, could, could go down in a sewer and become a rat to save rats. We think that sounds horrible. Ugh. Infinitely greater way Christ came man. It's far greater than a president or a king and this, a sovereign ruler of a nation in this, in this world that we live in today to, to take the form of a cockroach to save cockroaches. Or just insert whatever thing grosses you out or thing that, a cat for some of you, I realize. Um, but, to, but you know, in an infinitely greater way, Jesus entered this world as a man. He gave up far more than we can even comprehend in the likeness of sinful flesh, to live, to die as a man, to save sinners. All that's contained in this one simple statement, Christ Jesus came into the world. So that's what happened. Second question, why did Jesus come into the world? That's the event. What, what's the purpose behind this? Christ Jesus, it says, Christ Jesus came in this world, here's the purpose statement, to save his was a saving purpose, a, his, a saving mission, His coming was. In the very beginning, God created everything in the universe. Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. And He made people, we're told in Genesis 1.2, He made people unique and special among all His creation, unlike anything else. He made us in His image, in His likeness. We're different from cockroaches and sewer rats and cats, and uh, anything else that God has made, and flowers and trees. We're not the same. And He blessed 
man, woman, human beings in ridiculous ways. He gave them everything they needed. He gave them a place of authority over everything else that He made. He placed them in this idyllic environment and gave them all kinds of of good fruit to enjoy and charged them with the responsibility of caring for and cultivating the garden and everything that God placed in it. And the the first man and woman, they enjoyed this unhindered fellowship with God. They're just walking with God. No, no, no brokenness, no tension, no awkwardness. It's just openness with the Lord. God gave them again every plant for food. They could eat whatever they wanted except one. And though they were surrounded by all this abundance of good things and good food, when tempted by the devil, they took the one thing that God told them not to eat. And they were, in a sense, they repaid God's incredible kindness with rebelliousness and, and, and disobedience. And ever since, every person, every human being born into this world has been born as a sinner. We're, we're rebels from the womb. Romans 5 verse 12 says that, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death has spread to all men because all sin. So that's the condition in which we are, this, the world which we were born into. And, and yet God then worked to call sinful humanity back to himself. He set apart a witness nation, Israel, and yet they rejected him. He called and sent prophets to, to preach to people, to call people to himself. But, but people took those prophets and they killed them. And so, we, so when we hear God is going to send his son into the world... After everything we've done, what should we expect Him to come and do? What should we expect Him? How should we expect Him to come? After all our rebelliousness, all our defiance, all of our shaking our fists at Him, all of our disobedience, all of our sin against God, when we hear Christ Jesus came into the world, yes, that's definitely news, but is that good news? It, 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 we, we, we expect him when we, if we heard God is now coming into this world we would be we should be petrified we would expect Jesus to come and to pour out God's judgment we would expect him to come with a sword and to punish sinners and rebels like us but why did Jesus come into this world in order to condemn us in order to pour out God's wrath on us Again, Christ Jesus came into this world to save. To save. The most well-known verses in all of Scripture, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That's why Christ came, to save. And so in the birth of Jesus, God has sent His Son into the world to find all the rebellious sinners hiding out in caves of spiritual darkness. And to call them, instead of destroying us in His wrath, wrath, He calls to us in His grace. He came to save. That's why He came. And so when the angel spoke to Joseph and, and, and foretelling the fact that he would have a son, he, he says, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Why Jesus? 
because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. And so he, will, he came into this world to save. His name even bears witness to his purpose and why he has come. And so now the question, follow-up question is why did Jesus come into the world to save? Why didn't he just do it remotely, do it from heaven? Why did he have to enter in? Couldn't he have done it from afar without leaving the glories of heaven? And the answer is no. Because man sinned, man must pay the penalty for his sin. Numbers 14.18, we see that while the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, yet he will by no means clear the guilty. Because God is not only loving and forgiving and gracious and abounding in steadfast love, he's also holy. He's completely other, he's completely perfect, and he's just. He has to do what's right. And he must punish all sin. And so if all have sinned and every single sin must be punished for God to be just, how can we ever be saved? Well, this is, again, getting at the purpose. Why did Christ come? He came to save. And in order to save, he had to enter into this world because God provides a substitute in Jesus. A man without sin can and must die and be punished in the place of sinners. So God, who loves the world, sends His only Son into the world to come here to take on human nature, to be born as a man, to live as a man, to die then as a man. And so in one of the greatest passages of the Old Testament, looking forward to, to Jesus coming and to His purpose in coming, in Isaiah Uh, Chapter 53, we read these words. Surely He, the promised one, Jesus Christ, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced, not for His transgressions, but for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So Christ Jesus, what happened? Christ came into the world. Why did He come into the world? He came to save. And He couldn't save without coming into the world. And then the last question I want us to consider is who did Christ come in the world to save? And again, our text tells us very clearly, just the next word, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now I realize this is a Christmas Eve service and it's supposed to be a happy sermon. <laughs> We're talking about the baby Jesus and everybody loves babies and this is, this is just supposed to be nothing but giggles and smiles. But preacher, you're talking about that S word, sin, sinner, but listen, sin is the ugly side of Christmas. Sin's the dark side. But to, but to, re- to, to really understand the beauty of Christ coming and to understand the happiness and the good news of great joy that is, that is to be ours at, at Christmas, we, we have to understand that it's our sin that necessitated His coming. And so the brightness of His grace can only be seen properly against this dark backdrop of, of our 
sinful condition. And so in 1 Timothy 2, this is the context of this passage, 1 Timothy 1 and the, the passage we read earlier in 12 to 17. That's what Paul's doing here. He's thinking about his sin and yet God's extravagant, wonderful mercy. And it's in that context that he says this. And he says of himself, I am the chief sinner. I am the foremost of all sinners. I'm the, I'm the scum of the earth. I'm as bad as they come. And you say that, well, how, is that really true? Is there nobody else that was a worse sinner than, than, than the Apostle Paul? I mean, we're putting Adolf Hitler you know, below Paul on that, uh, not that. But from Paul's perspective, he was the worst sinner. Listen, every single, of every person in this room, and I know some of you really well, but you are not at all the worst sinners that I know. And I can't, and nobody else out in this world is the worst sinner I know. I am the worst sinner I know. Because I know more about me and my heart and the things that I think and the things that, that, that go on inside of me than anybody else knows. So from Paul saying, I am, I am the chief of sinners. And so until you come to see the ugliness of your own sin, you can't see the goodness and the beauty and the wonder of God's mercy. Until you recognize that you're the chief of sinners, you really can't appreciate the grace of God as you should. There's a great illustration. Many of you know the story of John Newton. He wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. If there's any hymn that everybody knows, it's that one. And you at least know the tune, if not the words. But Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But the story of this 18th century uh, preacher in, in England, he, he was a wretch. It's not just hypothetical. He, he, he was known for a life of just gross wickedness and debauchery. He was, a, he was an African uh, slave trader. And so he went and, and hunted down and captured slaves in Africa and, and trafficked them into Europe. I mean, just an awful, awful man, awful life, and yet God saved him. He snatched him out of that, out of his sin, out of his, his out of his debauchery, and 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 John Newton. He never got over the wonder of God's grace to save him as a sinner. And so, on his deathbed, the story goes his his mind was beginning to get kind of clouded and confused. I know nobody can relate to that, but uh, you, you 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 you. But particularly in those last days of your life, you 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 see your mind begin to to wonder. And a close friend was talking with him. And was just asking him about what kinds of things he can remember. And, and I'm sure he was, there, were, there were a lot of things that were getting mixed up in his brain. And so a dear friend talking to him. And John Newton's response was, was this. My memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things. That I am a great sinner. And that Christ is a great Savior. And so as we come to Christmas, this is, this is to be our response. We realize Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners and nobody else. The wonderful That's wonderful news because we're, we're all sinners. So one of the th- a couple of things that tells us is, one, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. This tells us this. Paul is exhibit A of this. Though he, yeah, he was an expert in religion, yes, he, he had morality down and he was a leading citizen and everybody looked up to Paul as this highly regarded religious man. He says of himself, I was a blasphemer, I was a violent persecutor, I was an insolent man. Paul, Paul, Paul killed Christians in Jerusalem and when they fled, he chased them down and hunted them down like animals and killed them. He had a reputation among Christians in, in, throughout the land and, and, and they're watching their backs for him and for his fellow assassins. And So this was Paul. 
But even Paul found mercy. And the one who tried to destroy the gospel, he, he, he became transformed by it and spent the rest of his life proclaiming it. He found mercy. And, he, and he's, he's just overwhelmed by that. God delights in showing mercy to sinners, even to the worst of sinners. And so no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Again, Paul says of himself, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. So it's, he's saying, God targeted me for salvation so that no one could ever think that they're too sinful to be saved and to be reached by God's grace. You are never beyond the long, long reach of God's grace to save. And so that's, Christ came not to, to uh, give a little boost to the happy people. He came to save sinners. To those who need rescued, He came to rescue them and pluck them out. So no one's beyond the reach of grace. The other side of that is, no one is beyond the need for God's grace. Maybe you're hearing you thinking, yeah, that, yeah the, the gospel, it's, it's good news for those bad people. Those who really have messed up their lives. But, 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 but I, I, I'm doing alright. Kind of hold my, hold my life together. Got a good family. Got a good job. Everything's, everything's looking up. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but, but, but I, I, you know, I'm basically good. I don't need a savior. I could use some life pointers from Jesus, and he could be my life coach and help me to kind of, you know, polish off some of these little rough spots in my life. I'm looking, but that's not why Christ came. You. You, you can have a good family, you can be honest and ethical most of the time and not cheat on your taxes or cheat on your spouse or you go to church you, when you can, you can read your Bible occasionally and pray. But when none of us are righteous on our own, Scripture tells us is there's none righteous, not one, Romans 3.10. Yet the good news, the gospel, is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So the question of the hour is, how then are sinners saved by Jesus? How does that happen? How do we who deserve death because of our sin receive this gift of eternal life from God who has no sin? The answer is in our text. It's by believing in Jesus. Look in verse 16. He talks about those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? For eternal life. It means that you know who He is. You know what He did. You know that, that He's the Son of God. That He was born into this world. That He lived a perfect life. That He died on the cross for our sins. That He rose from the dead on the third day. He ascended to heaven. Those are the facts that we must believe. And we must accept those facts as truth. And you also, you, you have to believe that Jesus did this for you. It's not, it's not just abstract. You must personally trust in Him and Him alone. To be your Savior from sin. Your only hope of rescue and, and eternal life. So you can't, you can't, Jesus doesn't say, trust in me in addition to other things. Continue to cling to your morality, but also put a little trust in me. No, he says, it's me alone. Trust in me. Not Jesus in good works, not Jesus in your family, not Jesus in religious rituals, not Jesus in good behavior, not Jesus in a priest. It's Jesus alone. Your faith must be in Christ alone. Even if you're a great sinner, 
You can find greater mercy if you will trust in Christ for eternal life. You can do that today. Christ, he left heaven, came to this earth that you might enter heaven. He endured God's punishment that you might escape his punishment. He took the penalty of sin that you might be pardoned. And so you can trust him now. Just, you, can, you can say and pray right now as I'm continuing to talk. Pray and just close your eyes if you want to, just to kind of help to focus. But pray and say something like, I, I am a sinner. I, I've lived in rebellion against you, Lord. And now I, I know that my sin, it doesn't just disrupt my life. It doesn't just make me unhappy. It doesn't just hurt my family. But, but it separates me from you eternally. And I stand condemned before you, Lord, but now I know what Jesus came to do. I, I understand now. I understand why He came, that He came to save sinners like me. That He came to die so that I might live. And I believe this, and I place all my confidence and all my hope and all my trust in Christ and what He's done. So if you, if you pray that to the Lord, and, you, and that's an honest expression of your heart before the Lord, you you can be a new creature in Christ today. And you, have, you, you can in an instant be removed from being under God's wrath and condemnation to now, to now being no longer condemned but loved by God and Jesus Christ. And you can be what the Bible calls a new creation. And I, and I, and I, I plead with you, if you've not trusted in Jesus, to know to do this now. And, and, and if, you've trust, if you trust Him this morning, if you have questions, we'd love to talk with you. Come find me. Come find somebody sitting around you and talk with them. And we'd love to talk with you more. But, but for all of us, we, 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 how do we respond to this message, that this good news of great joy, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners? And we're the foremost. How do we respond? We respond like Paul did. As Paul is testifying to this mercy that is his, that though he was a great sinner, though he was a blasphemer, blasphemer, though he was an opponent of Christianity, yet God showed him mercy and grace and love and all of those things that he testifies to in this passage. And, he, and he's just overcome by the wonder of it, all, of it all. And as he remembers his story of grace, what does he do? He turns to praise God. And so this passage ends in verse 17 with this doxology to the king of the ages immortal invisible the only god be honor glory forever and ever amen and that's what we want that's how we respond brothers and sisters in christ if this is our story if you know this salvation that christ has come to give and to to accomplish and by coming into this world and being born in Bethlehem, then we're, our response is to, to sing praises to Him. And we're going to do that now. Let me pray. Father, would You help us, God, to be heralds of this gospel message this week and proclaiming it to those who don't know Christ. And even now, to adore You and to, to, to fill this room with Your praises and, and as we extol the wonders of Christ who came into this world to save sinners, among whom we are the foremost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.